Hello and welcome to the RG Physiotherapy Society podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Judith Cole. Judith has over 18 years of experience as a physiotherapist, working across a wide range of environments from the NHS to performance sport and the performing arts. She currently holds the position of teaching fellow at Birmingham University and is a contract physiotherapist for the Royal Opera House, Elmhurst Ballet School and Birmingham Royal Ballet. It's quite some achievements there. Hello and welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you for having me. Oh, lovely to have you on, Judith. I'm really looking forward to just chatting to you and getting a bit more of an insight into your work that you're doing within the performing arts. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. That's fine. Lovely. Obviously, I give you a bit of a brief intro there, but you know, for anyone who hasn't come across you in your work, can you just tell us about where your career started off and where you're currently at? Okay, I mean, when you say 18 years, I was a bit like, oh, gosh, <laughs> that was such a long time ago. Um, but I, I started, I did a three-year sports um, and exercise science degree at the University of Exeter. So I did that as an undergrad for three years. And during that course, that's where we started working with some physios. And that kind of picked my interest. Because when I was 18, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But working with physios, I was like, gosh, these guys, it's really interesting what they're doing. So then I jumped on to a three-year undergrad course in physio at the University of Southampton. And when I was there, I was surrounded by sport. All I really, really wanted to do was sport. Mm -hmm. um, and straight out of university, I was like, right, this is what I want to do. I just want to go straight into sport. But thankfully, I had a sort of personal lecturer tutor there at Southampton Uni that said, you know what, You'll, you'd be a better physio if you did your NHS rotations. And I, I can remember sitting there kind of a bit annoyed at that, thinking, oh, I, I really don't want to do it I just want to go straight into sport because that's kind of where my passion lies but oh my goodness I'm so pleased that I stuck it out so mm -hmm. I entered into sort of junior rotations and you know senior two rotations and I worked my way through sort of Cheltenham General Hospital, Gloucester Royal, ended up at University um, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital so UHB um, but actually when I look back some of my best times was working you know at UHB I worked at neurosurgery for about nine months okay. and that was with the military patients so you know even though you just think sport is going to be the place where you're going to be you can actually find these incredible individuals even in the normal population mm -hmm. so working trauma orthopedics neurosurgery coming across military patients you know it kind of inspired me and actually it's really sort of fed into all my work in performance sport and in dance medicine as well so after I sort of did, oh gosh, I think maybe four or five years of, of the NHS, um, I applied for um, the English Institute of Sports and ended up working in canoe slalom and canoe sprint, which are sports that I've never like even thought about or entered into. So it was a real sort of leap of faith sort of entering into these performance environments. Um, and yes, I spent sort of the next sort of few years at the English Institute of Sport in a sort of high paced Olympic cycle um, area, mm -hmm. um, working with some incredible athletes. Um, and after, I think, three cycles, um, I thought to myself, you know, I need, need something different. And the um, Birmingham Royal Ballet Head Physiotherapy role came up. Um, so, you know, my background in dance and in performance arts yes when I was younger I used to go to London and watch West End shows mm -hmm. and I had a real passion for theatre and watching 
but as an athlete population it never really entered my mind to work with this type of population and a bit similar of kind of jumping into the canoe world I kind of just took a leap of faith and like let's let's try and explore this kind of niche area um, and spent nearly two years at Birmingham Royal Ballet as their sort of head company physio um, and then after two years it's a touring company um, which makes so the travel is quite demanding so and having you know a young son I opted to work in contractor roles which kind of just ties into family life a lot more but I have stayed in this sort of performance area because there's such an interesting population to work with. Nice. That is some career path and I'm really intrigued <laughs> just to get your input on just having worked within you know the performing arts and dance medicine especially making that transition over from uh, performance sport as well how did you find that transition going from EIS into you know performing arts world just with regards to you know what what similarities did you see between the two environments what differences did you see there and how did you change your approach up um it was it was a huge challenge and with all the preparation and reading you can do mm -hmm. it's not until you're actually in the environment you, you can appreciate like how different it is because i was kind of on like a four-year cycle tempo so with olympic cycles the build-up is very gradual um, over the four years with the peak being the olympics mm -hmm. um, and before that you'll have like a european championships or world championships um, so you have this very very gentle incline and then after that olympic cycle it's almost like you press pause and then you start again and that growth kind of you know increases but with the with performing arts the theater within a ballet company they don't have this cycle they almost have just like i'll sort of describe it as like layers of a cake because there'll be there'll be a performance currently operating so they'll have like a show that is running um but at the same time as them doing the show they'll be rehearsing for different performances so it's like a layer effect so mm -hmm. you know in the where you know with olympic sport it's kind of quite lin linear with the ballet it, it's it feels like incredibly overwhelming in, in the beginning because you're just you can't get your head around the concept of they'll be performing nutcracker but then they'll be rehearsing for romeo and juliet or rehearsing for Cinderella, like on the side. Yeah. Um, so the volume is incredible. And it's it's very, very difficult to quantify the volume and very difficult to map it out and predict, you know, what, what's ahead really. Um, so yeah, so the Olympic cycle versus performance is, is, is really different. Um, with Olympic athletes, they're, they've got a high level of objectivity so you can measure their power you can quantify race times their speed jump heights you know whatever their sport is you can kind of quantify how good they are and put them on a world stage and compare them to other athletes and other races and things whereas with ballet it's hugely aesthetic driven so it's very subjective um, and they look at things like line, they call it lines. So when they extend their arms and they extend their legs, how that looks aesthetically. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly subjective. So I'd look at a performance and be like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And then you'd watch it and be like, mm, not too sure about that. It's, it's very subjective and very difficult to go from one person to another person 
to get what their opinion is on on what how a dancer is performing it's not how high they jump although that can be particularly impressive um it's how they look which the only similarity i've come across is in gymnastics which is they get points for you know how they look how their hands look um how their pirouettes look on the bar and things like that that's the only way i've kind of could compare between olympic and performance arts um so yeah that was very difficult to get my head around the subjective aesthetic nature of the dance um where i just don't have anything really to measure it is it's it's purely what things look like and you have to learn that as well with ballet it's a, a, such an interesting world it's got its own language mm -hmm. it's got its own culture um the arts you know, these these athletes have grown they've since the age of eight they've been like performing and they grow up through the ranks and maybe they've become a professional dancer and that's all they've ever known so whereas athletes kind of enter in maybe at school level or grassroots ballet dancers have sort of been doing it forever yeah that's an interesting one i mean many many years ago i used to work at uh, the theater here in aberdeen uh, just in the front of house and obviously all the different touring companies would come through and i was always impressed with all the uh, the ballet companies came in because like you say the volume is huge performing every night on a tour mm. and then practicing during the day as well and it's just like how do you cope with this you know and where where's your how do you um you know fluctuate that volume and stuff there as well was quite an interesting thing to ask them and I think the closest thing I can draw to as you say there's I've got some experience working with gymnastics and just like I say learning that language and what's important to them um from a strength conditioning standpoint as well and just trying to like match your outcome measures to what they want and using the language they want around it as well it's a huge thing yeah it's I found it quite intimidating to begin with um especially when the principal dancers will come in and they'll be like, I'm really struggling with Alasacom position or Tondu or, and all these words will kind of come out and I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't know what that is. Could you demonstrate it to me? So you'd have to be quite brave and suck it up and be like, I actually don't, I don't understand, but I'm interested to learn. Can you show me? And they'd be like, oh yes, yes, yes. And then they'd sort of extend their legs and show me exactly what, what they meant um so you know people entering into this world i would probably advise just to be very brave um don't be intimidated by you know the fact that it's so foreign and the language is so different um you know it's things that you can pick up and absorb and learn and what what the dancers want from you as a like a therapist or someone helping them in their sports medicine team is just to appreciate their art and appreciate how how heavy the volume is because like as you said what you notice at that theater they'll start like on the saturday show they'll start at 10 30 doing class and that can be up to two hours then they'll have a matinee performance at 2 30 then if they're lucky they'll get an hour and a half where they can sort of take all the costumes off take their makeup off go grab something to eat and then they're back on stage for 7 30. yeah and then they'll be finishing at sort of 10 30 and then they'd have to again you know refuel and because you know and just try and calm themselves down because it's such a uh, you know the cortisol that goes through them from performing you know that sometimes they're not hitting their beds until like one in the morning because they're so like pumped up from their performance and then they've got to be up again back to class the very next day mm -hmm. 
so it's quite a life and it's you know resilience wise I think you know as an athlete group these are one of the top like toughest athletes that I've come across I'd say it's a it's a very brutal art it's a very difficult physical and mentally challenging um so yeah I've got massive respect for them you've already touched upon a little bit about just the large volume of work these uh, performers will do in a given week and the, the time demands as we said earlier especially on matinee days when they've got such a long day ahead of them um, mm -hmm. I was just wondering what, what do you see as some of the, the common you know demands they're, they're facing from a physical standpoint and what are some of the common injuries that you'll come across with regards to who you're working with yeah. and yeah. I think if we take it a layer deeper on that as well you know how does that change from you know them going from you know corpse to ballet to soloist to principal does that make a big difference within that as well yes absolutely absolutely um there's there's a real difference um with sex so the girls versus the boys you do see a difference in injuries and the primary driver from my opinion um the girls wear point shoes um so they have a large number of ankle injuries compared mm -hmm. to boys the boys don't wear point shoes so with the point shoes um i'm sure you sort of you've seen them and they come up onto this point position and these shoes are so so tight like a you know if anyone ever gets a chance to try a pair of these shoes on and stand in the point position it makes you really appreciate how tough uh, these girls have got it so you know they start you know at the age of sort of 12 like in sort of soft blocks and then they build themselves up um over the years into the hard uh, point shoes um, so, you know, they're, they're very good at respecting the development of children through this process, but because of the biomechanics of it standing on point, if there is a tip or if they do go over, it is quite catastrophic on the ankle joints because of the height and the position of the foot in, in, in that sort of point shoe. So for girls, you do come across a lot of ankle injuries, probably because of the, the point shoe. With the boys, um, just from the literature and again experience, you do tend to see sort of more incidences of um, tibial or foot stress fractures. Um, you know, their dancing roles demand a lot of jumping and landing. Um, and due to lots of factors like the floor and what the choreography is, sometimes that can predispose them to these like overuse injuries. So you see that in the boys. And another difference between the boys and the girls is that the boys have to do a lot of lifting. Okay. Um, so they'll lift the girls either with two hands or with one hand, or sometimes they'll have them sitting on, on their shoulder. So you can get um, more sort of shoulder injuries um, with the boys um, and more sort of back injuries because of you know, the choreography of what they have to do to lift, lift the girls. <laughs> Interesting to hear as well. And how, how, how do you go about your process then with regards to anyone who presents to say one of the girls has had an ankle injury uh, after a performance? What's your rehab process and how do you, how do you help get them back into you know, stage performance as well and back into their, you know, their, um, their training? Yeah, so uh, context is absolutely everything. So the age of this girl is everything. Is it a girl that's actually in ballet school versus someone who's a professional dancer. Mm. Um, that's a similarity in Olympic sport, actually, even with sort of younger athletes, you know, with a 
an injury, like almost a very, very high trauma injury, I'd take it a lot slower with the younger ones, just because there's no rush. And also you don't want to have sort of long-term issues. So you need to rehab thoroughly um, to make sure that they can get back on point comfortably. Um, so, you know, so I'm a little bit gentler and a little bit less pushy. Um, that's probably not a great word, pushy, but, you know, less like there's less pressure to return back to dance mm -hmm. the younger they are. Um, with the, the older, more established dancers, um, Again, there's a rank system, which is quite complicated within a, um, a ballet. So like you've mentioned, you start off in the corpse to ballet. So you start off as an artist and you move up to first artist, soloist, first soloist and then principal. Okay. Not everybody gets to principal. It's, you know, it's quite a uh, very niche and the, the creme de the creme that kind of reach that kind of pinnacle and th their roles demand demands are completely different as a principal dancer to those of corp de ballet the corp de ballet you know support the principal dancers in swan lake they're like the swans in the background um or they're the character dancers in like romeo and juliet whereas the principal dancers are, are at the front doing their solos and doing quite intense performances and also it's quite stressful to be a principal because you're the lead of the show mm -hmm. and all the focus is on you and what they do and their abilities um, all boil down to them. Um, so there's a lot of like mental um, pressure, I'd imagine, um, for the for the principals compared to the corps de ballet, who kind of blend in the background. They kind of get away with stuff sometimes, versus like when you're in the spotlight and it, all eyes are on you. So going back to kind of like my, my drivers for sort of rehab you know, tissue healing is tissue healing. And it doesn't matter if you're an Olympic gold medalist, a principal ballet dancer, a Saturday footballer, or, or your, you know, your uncle that just, you know, sits on the computer all day, you know, you have to respect the tissue healing. Um, and especially for if you're trying to get someone back on point, mm -hmm. um, you need to respect the tissue healing and work with the tissue healing. Um, to make sure that they get back to full range of movement because the pressure on the ballet dancer is their point. Yeah. They want to get their point back um, because again, of that aesthetic, you know, for their art form, they need to have a beautiful looking foot and pointing ankle because uh, when they do their moves to the side, it doesn't look great if you've just got a bit of a stiff ankle. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a big driver. Um, and also just being mindful of, stability as well so if someone does have um, an ankle injury it's making sure that the testing is thorough so you can determine whether a stable is functionally unstable versus stable because when you, you've got the demands of a ballet career and and working in a point shoe having the unstable ankles just it just makes it impossible yeah yeah Thank so you. quite early on you have to make establish whether it is a functionally unstable ankle versus just a mild strain uh, where, you know, you can rehab back normally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with that, yeah. that rehab timeline as well, what, what, what sort of outcome measures are you using? Because obviously you say you want to get them back on point. What, what, what are you using just to quantify that as you bring them back through? Um, so no different to what everyone will use with regards to pain, mm -hmm. function, and then the sort of functional tests that we use, um, again, we use things like the star excursion balance test, 
which you know crosses across all sorts of sports really um if we're working in an area that's had thorough screening um we might be really lucky to be able to use a force plate Okay. So what we mean by force play, and they use it extensively at the Royal Ballet, um, is that they can measure and quantify the amount of force that someone can put through their jumps and landings, so that when it comes to rehabbing someone, we can see whether the strength rehab and, you know, the timeline has returned them back to their normal uh, parameters of jump forces. So, you know, if, if you're lucky and you work with a good sports scientist and S&C that have got access to a force platform, you can use that force data to measure before and after the injury. And you, you can be as confident as you can to say you've returned to your pre-injury sort of status. That's, that sounds fantastic there as well. And I just want to touch on, because you mentioned, obviously, you know, if you are the you know, the principal of the company and the pressure you face of carrying that performance on your shoulders as well. How do you find that being in those sort of positions as well, Judith? So say, say it was the, the principal performer who goes down and, you know, you've got to deal with company manager, director, these sort of things like, you know, when are they going to be back, when are they going to be back? But, you know, at the same time, you've got in the back of your head, well, there's a there's definite tissue healing time. How do you manage those expectations with those uh, individuals? Um. Yes, like with everything, it's 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 very 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 tricky, and sort of working with dancers. Um, dancers are amazing at their jobs because they're able to like perform with amazing emotion on the stage, so that the person at the back of the theatre can see that they're happy, can see that they're sad. Mm -hmm. So dancers just as personal attributes their emotions are incredible um, so as individuals like working with someone that has had a catastrophic injury you have to appreciate that you know they may be really really emotional with it so working closely with sports psychologists um, and psychologists is is absolutely crucial here just to help support them through through this process mm -hmm. um, now to work with the rest of the staff within a company, um, you know, your communication skills have to be absolutely optimal. Um, you have to deal with some of the artistic director. So the artistic director um, is almost like the performance director of a, of a sports team. Um, they're in charge of picking the shows, picking the dancers, picking the choreography um, and managing you know, the performances. Um, so they need to know dance availability because they'll be they'll be thinking ahead like you know almost a year like over a year they'll play um they'll map out exactly what performances they'll have and they'll want to know the availability of which principals can do the principal roles and then you have the the company manager now the company manager is almost as like the operations manager of a company so he works very closely with the dancers to organize everything on the shop floor really to make sure that the theater is all ready for them um, their accommodations all sorted um, and they sort of do all the logistics work so again they need to know about availability so they can work hard um, with the artistic staff so that they can kind of it, not just principals because sometimes the corp de ballet have lots of different roles throughout one performance so if one corp de ballet member goes down they have to plug all the gaps um, with other members of the, of the company so it can get quite quite uh, difficult 
So at Bourbon Royal Ballet, they have weekly meetings as a MDT, and that's the same at the Royal as well. And they'll sit down as a massive MDT, which is fantastic to see because, you know, it was sometimes it's very difficult to kind of get that kind of amalgamation going between individuals. But for seamless communication, just to sit opposite the artistic director and the company manager and to be able to communicate, this person is off. Um, we anticipate their return to dance is this date. Um, in the meantime, you know, they're going to be completely off or they might be restricted. Um, so sometimes they might be able to do small roles, um, like, but for principal dancers, normally they're off until they can come back into a principal role. So yeah, so communication is just absolutely key. And also accountability as well. It's just making sure when you're sort of managing a team that everyone knows exactly what their role is with the dancer. So S&C knows what they're doing. Um, they use a lot of Pilates teachers um, in, in the ballet world. Um, so making sure that they know what they're doing, sports massage, sports psychologist, the doctor, physios, um, just making sure that everyone is on the same page and accountable for what they're bringing to the table to help support the dancer back to return to dance. And then mapping out and planning milestones so that you know at, at this week they should be able to return to jumps at this week they'll be able to do big jumps and that the first performance will be a certain date and then hopefully you know if you can map that out you can sort of see what the timeline will be and you can be sort of specific to the artistic director to say he'll be back as romeo for you know september the first that's incredible yeah. to hear. I had no idea there was so much in depth with regards to the MDT working behind the scenes as well, just get one back through. So that's incredible to hear. Yes. Yeah. And I think I've been very lucky because the, the companies that I've worked for have had this lovely MDT sort of working. Um, but the, the dance world, you know, the arts aren't you know heavily funded. It's not like football. It's not like rugby. Mm -hmm. It's not like Olympic sports that have got lottery funding or UK sport funding. You know, they only they rely on government arts, um, you know, grants, and every year they get less and less and less. So these companies, unfortunately, just you know can't afford to have these big teams. So I've been very fortunate to work in areas where they've been able to afford like a nice sort of a sports medicine um, team. That's incredible. And I know, obviously, you're, you're doing work with more youth ballet at Elmhurst uh, Ballet School as well. Is that similar sort of scenario as at Elmhurst? Are they starting trying to put more of that multidisciplinary team around all dancers? Or is it, like you say, they're trying to maximise what they can with the financials they've got? Yeah, absolutely. So with Elmhurst, um, it's a boarding school. Okay. Um, so pupils have to pay to attend or they get bursaries. And... Um, with Elmhurst, um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's lots of other schools as well. There's Trinity and there's the Royal Ballet School. And, but for Elmhurst, there was a massive um, emphasis on health and well-being um, and trying to make sure that, that the children are mentally resilient as well as physically resilient to be able to kind of go through this schooling process, which is really tough, really tough. It's a boarding school, so they're away from home mm -hmm. as well as having to do all this dance training on top. Um, so the process is quite, quite different. And I found it quite interesting. Normally you start off in a dance school and then make your way into a company as a you know, therapist. And I started in the company. And then when I came into school, I was a bit like, 
oh wow this is what they had to get through in order to succeed to become you know a company dancer and it's yeah I, I've got great respect for them because it's it's a tough it's a, a real sort of tough environment you know the kids um, they're passionate for dance uh, but then they have to you know supplement it with their academia as well and school's tough let alone having to you know do dance training like six hours a day so yeah it's um but at elmhurst we are lucky we've got a strength and conditioning coach uh, we've got mental health nurse um, there's another nurse there's another physio um and we've got a performance uh, coach which i think uh, do you know i haven't mentioned them um the, they are probably the absolute key members of an MDT. Um, so what we mean by performance coaches are members of the artistic staff. So they're probably former ballet teachers that help transition from the medical room back into the studio and on stage. Uh, because, you know, I from a medical profession, it's very rare to come across people that kind of know the language of ballet and how to, you know, ease a dancer back into like their, their full sort of ballet bar centre um, routines. So the performance coach um, are those sort of coaches that sort of trans transfer like from like a medical rehab through into a dance um, situation. So they're, they're absolutely key members to work with. Okay, that's interesting yeah. here as well. Um, but yeah, hundred percent, I can see it's great to have that that bridge, like you say, to go from very much away from on the floor ballet into actually back on into technical training work. It is, and it is the technical terminology because with football, um, you know, you can just probably, you know, you can you can really sort of guess exactly what attributes physical attributes they need in order to play football um but actually to know exactly what they need from ballet it's it's difficult mm -hmm. unless you are from that world um so you need to work very closely with these performance coaches to be like are they are they ready for point yet do you think they're strong enough to jump yet um you know it's a very close working relationship wow that's incredible i mean it's just great to hear that you know the, the performing arts is just developed in such a way now that we've got these huge MDTs around people as well to help manage them through their career yes. and just make sure they're looked after officially. Yeah, That's yeah, cool. no, it's good. It's good to hear. Um, there's a, a recent, he won't mind me saying, uh, Steve McRae, because he's posted widely on um, social media. He's a principal dancer at the Royal okay. and he's just gone through an Achilles reconstruction wow. um, and he's just actually made a documentary about it because it's been a whole year because he was in front of two and a half thousand people at the Royal in Covent Garden. He was performing, what was he doing? Was he Romeo? I'm not sure, um, but his Achilles snapped on stage in front of all these people. Um, and he's documented his rehab journey for the whole year to return back to stage. And um, by all, I haven't watched it, but I have heard snippets of it and it's, it's incredible, very insightful. That's incredible. And you say he put that up on was it Twitter, you say? Is, is it advertising? He's on Instagram. Instagram, okay. He's on Instagram. But um, I'm not sure. Oh gosh, I should have looked this up beforehand exactly where you can have a look at his at his. I can maybe send it to you after this conversation and you can post it. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good, Judith. Perfect. Yeah. Now obviously, as I was saying to you before, Judith off air, you know we set out this podcast to form a really good resource for students to access into, you know, they can 
touch on for information, but also just to show them the breadth and uh, you know of the physiotherapy uh, career field. Um, you know, for you, what would you say is the best advice or resources you point physiotherapy students towards who may be thinking, you know, what I wouldn't mind having a career path go down the performing arts route. Yeah, so one, a good place to start really is the ACPSEM. There is um, a national dance rep, Alex McGiven, on there. So I would strongly recommend, you know, don't narrow yourself too much in the beginning. Like I said, you know, my I was so narrow focused in, in the beginning. Um, I thought, you know, I want to get into sport. So therefore, if I just get to sport really, really quickly, it'll make me the best sports physio. But all the skills that I learned, you know, musculoskeletal outpatients, neurosurgery, ITU, all those skills that you learn on the shop floor of the NHS, you know, really complement your practice. So as so I'd really encourage people to get your good grounds and get your good skills especially from the NHS, which is in an incredible institution. The amazing things that you see there, it's just mm -hmm. unbelievable. Um, but while I was doing that on the side, um, I worked um, on my sort of like CPD pathway in the ACPSM. Um, so I learned about, you know, sport, the role of sports massage. Um, I learned about the role of acupuncture. Um, I learned about functional movement screening. So all these things, all these skills that you can learn through that society, um, you know, you can bring forwards into, into dance medicine. Um, the other thing is, is to also touch on areas such as gymnastics, trampolining, ice skating, anything that's got like an aesthetic component to it um, is a really nice way to start off. Um, and, with sports and dance medicine it's very difficult to kind of access these areas and normally you have to start by volunteering your time which is difficult because you know everyone has to earn a living mm -hmm. um so um so it's it's gonna be just understanding that you know sometimes volunteering your services at a weekend or of an evening um just so you can go and shadow like physios that work in this area or just give up some of your time. Um, as, as an example, um, the University of Birmingham um, is hosting uh, the Commonwealth Games. Well, Birmingham's hosting the Commonwealth Games this year. Um, and on campus at uh, the University of Birmingham, there's gonna be some sort of sports going on and things. Um, and what we're setting up is, is like a clinical placement with our students and they're going to support the dancers um, for the opening and closing ceremony. Um, so it's kind of looking for opportunities such as that, like being aware that these sorts of ceremonies operate and then you can volunteer your services to go and help support these events. So it's like keeping your eyes peeled and, and looking for the fact that you could maybe just volunteer your services. And just so you can go and observe and get your hands on, on these individuals because physically they are very different from the normal population. They're normally very hypermobile. Their range of movements are incredible. Their strengths are incredible. Um, so it's just trying to get that experience and getting your hands on these people to experience what they feel like and what they like to talk to and work with. 
Perfect. That's some great advice there, Rajiv. I'll make sure I'll pop those in our show notes as well so anyone can access into them. Um, obviously, it's been great chatting to you. It's been really insightful getting a, to look into you know the performing arts world as well and the role physio can play within that. For anyone who's listening who you know may want to get in touch with some questions or pick your brain a little bit more, what's the best way they can do that, Judith? Um, I'd imagine LinkedIn, so Judith Co. Um, and they can message me on LinkedIn. Perfect. I'll make sure I pop that in our show notes as well so everyone can access that, Judith. Once again, Lovely. thank you, Judith, for being so gracious with your time. It's been very much appreciated. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Lovely. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you.